I'll be reading out of Hebrews 10, verses 23 verses tw through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I didn't turn it on. <laughs> As a guy that does tech, I then fail to <laughs> do the tech. Welcome to 2024. Um, no, so I've considered doing a New Year's resolution of actually working out, something I haven't uh, really done ever since I got married, because once I got married, what was the point? She already had me. She was stuck with me, regardless of, you know, the amount of muscle I lost from then not working out. So I've, you know, considered maybe working out a little bit more, trying to, I'm, you know, in my mid-30s now, I'm not as spry and energetic. Just overall, okay, overall in general. Um, and I was going to go get a rower machine tomorrow used. I was like, okay, great. I like doing the rower. It's something that works the arms and back and whatnot. And I just didn't go and do it. So my New Year's resolution is already off to a horrible start. I hope yours is better than mine this coming year. Um, some of you may have known my story and my, my testimony. I moved around a lot when I was a kid. Uh, started out born in Portland, lived in Vancouver for like the first three or four years, bounced between Ridgefield and Vancouver in that time. Then when I was five, five and a half, we moved all the way to Bend, which I still will say is about the only place, there we go, still the only place in Oregon I will ever, ever live and move back to. It's a beautiful area. You have actual four distinct seasons You've got fall, you've got snow in the winter, um, which no one here knows how to handle that, but everyone up there knows how. You've got a spring and wonderful dry, hot summers. It's amazing. That's what you get in the high desert. Uh, but then we lived there for only two years and then moved again to Hillsborough. Was there for five years. Then we moved down to Salem, there for three years, and then finally moved back to Vancouver. I never really had firm foundation of community aside from just family. I got really good at learning how to make friends because of how much we moved, but there was never a, a true sense of actual just belonging, being knitted together within a community because of just how much 
we were moved around. No solid place to put roots down. But thankfully, all of that changed once I rededicated my life to Jesus. I had a friend in high school. We became friends in uh, freshman year. And all during this time, yes, I, I made friends. I had friends. I wasn't a loner, necessarily. Um, but I had a friend who would just consistently, for two years, he was pursuing me. Constantly inviting me, hey, come to church, come to youth group with me. And I told him, listen, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I believe in who Jesus is. But he would always have the line of, yes, but that doesn't mean that you have a relationship with him. That doesn't mean that you're rooted in him. And so I finally gave in after two years in junior year. I said, okay, yes, I will come to youth group with you. Can you stop pestering me about it? And from that point on, that just completely changed the direct, uh, traje trajectory of my life, changed everything about me. It was then I was finally able to understand what a community actually meant to be a part of, a family to belong to outside of just my natural family and those groups of friends. And it was ultimately a sense of home, something that I had been longing for all my childhood it was a place to just belong and have people that loved me more than just family. And when I was in high school, the only sense of that I really had up until that point was when I ran tra track, track and field. I did long distance. Some of you will call that crazy. I mean, just look. It was, I was made for that, okay? Um, I tried football in freshman year. I was not made for that. <laughs> you know, from high school on, I was maybe five foot seven. I only grew an inch and a half up until past that point. I wasn't made for football. I was made for track. And that was the only sense of community I had, the shenanigans that we would get into. But I was so grateful once I rededicated my life to Jesus because all of that changed. And I rededicated my life in a body where, in that church, I was there for 12 years. I was deeply, deeply rooted. And I had so many huge life events that took place. I got married in that church. Jess wasn't a part of the church before. She visited a friend. She met me. She says it was God telling her to move up. I think I probably played you know, somewhat of a part of that. She, just, she liked what she saw and decided... <laughs> I'm moving up to, to Washington from California. Her side of the story is a little different. But we had our, our first daughter in that church. Our second daughter was born at the very tail end. And then we, God was telling us it was time to transition. Different themes took place there. And then, so grateful, during that time, we met David and Rachel when they were at Westside. We met Jason there. And a lot of good, deep work took place and began to develop roots there. And then we planted here. And we have deep roots here with you guys. And that's the way you know, God designed it. God designed us to have deep-rooted relationships with each other. We see in Genesis the account of when he created Adam and Eve. 
He created us to be relational beings, not only with him, but also with one another. In Genesis 2.18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And this is where we see that first image of what biblical marriage looks like. A man and a woman together for life. But it also touches on the fact that we are relational beings. Up until he, God created Eve, he had created all of the animals and brought them to him for Adam to, to name. An animal is not suitable for a lifelong partnership, a lifelong friendship. As much as we love our, our pets, as much as we love our dogs, they're not suitable like humans are to actually engage with on a life journey together, not only in marriage, but just in general, friendship, relationship. I can have a conversation with my dog, Ray, but it's really just a one-sided conversation. And now lately, it's just me telling her how bad her breast smells. <laughs> we don't say that to you guys, I promise. <laughs> but that's the beauty of following Jesus, is that it opens up this pathway for us to have a deep-rooted relationship that is far beyond a friendship with someone that doesn't follow Christ. There's a different layer there, a different depth. In Hebrews 10, where we have our key verse, it first starts with the writer is setting the stage of this hope that we have. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a heart in full assurance in faith of faith, with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, the, the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus paves a way for us to have a new way of living. It paves the way for us to have a new way of having relationship with people, people who love Jesus like us. It paves a way for a deep sense of connectedness, where not only are we no longer separated from God because of our sin, but we can also be close together as followers of Jesus where we can identify when there has been sin that has been done to us or to someone else on our behalf. And we can see that and we can identify that we need to rectify and re reconcile with each other. Oftentimes we have natural families, if they don't follow Jesus and there's a rift, if we're the Christian and we know what it means to reconcile, but we have a family member that doesn't and then they just want distance and further and further separation from us, it's hard, is it not, to see that loved one be far away from us because they don't see the value of reconciliation like a follower of Jesus. Jesus paved a way for us to be able to be reconciled with each other. And that's where we see in our key verse where the author of Hebrews, he, they've structured this to where there is a past a present, and then a future. Verse 23, 
let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. See, we have this hope of who Jesus is. This hope of what he's done for us and on our behalf. And all of us as followers of Jesus have this call to hold on to the hope which Jesus has given us through his blood and through his resurrection. To hold on to the faith that we have in who he is. Richard Moeller says that the conf- this confession demonstrates faith. It is the verbal verification of repentant hearts. What is the confession of Christian hope? That Jesus is Lord and Jesus saves. The writer of Hebrews is not referencing a lengthy doctrinal statement, things that Paul was very good at. The confession on his mind is a central confession that Jesus saves sinners. Christians must never waver or stray from that confession in any capacity. If you follow Jesus and you love Jesus, know that you are secure in him. He has washed you clean. Your sins are forgiven. He has claimed you as his. We have that assurance that Jesus is faithful because of God being faithful in the past. All through the generations we see in the Old Testament, God was faithful to the promise that he made, even when humanity was far from faithful. Time and time and time again, the nation of Israel would turn to God and then turn away, turn to God and turn away. And he was always faithful to the promise that he made to Abraham, always faithful to draw them near. And that faithfulness reaches its final apex when Jesus enters the scene. Jesus said himself in John 6, 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Church, he is your, you are his. He will not cast you out. He will pursue you day in and day out. He loves you deeply. And we are called to hold on to him, to not waver from that faith that we have in who he is, in that love that he has for us. Because if we're honest, we live in a culture that wants to tell us to turn away. We live in a culture that says, God isn't real. This was all just a cosmic big bang that happened a particle matter of cells that just exploded into being. No, he is there. He is faithful. He is holding on to you. Even in times where you have doubt, in times where you're unsure, he is faithful to hold on to you. He will not let you go. The enemy is always trying to sow doubt and disbelief. He has that famous line of, did God really say that? In the garden, did God really say that you would surely die? Did God say that he's really there for you? The enemy is always going to want to sow doubt 
and disbelief. But the beautiful part is that's where we come in as a church. In the present, he has given us the ability, he's given us the pathway to help each other hold fast and not waver from the faith that we have. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. See, we are called to be a people who are catalysts for each other, a catalyst for each other's faith, to help encourage one another, to keep pressing on, to not lose hope, to not let go of the promises that he's made us, to the promises that he's made you, to be a catalyst for one another, to be a people of love, to show compassion and kindness and graciousness to one another and also the people that we encounter in the world, to love people fiercely like he loved you, to be a catalyst, to be his hands and feet into the world, to do good works, to sit, to get down on your knees with someone that is downtrodden, to comfort them, to put a hand around them, encourage them, lift them up, to serve in our communities, to give what it is that we have, the excess to help bring hope and joy to someone else, to be his hands and feet, and then to help each other hold on to the faith, to not let each other waver, to stand shoulder to shoulder with one another, to keep pressing on. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. It's a proverb that I, I love because it, it so encapsulates what we should be as a community, as a church, as believers in Jesus where iron sharpens iron. When we walk life together as friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, we help sharpen each other's faith. We help sharpen each other to be better followers of Jesus, to be better models of who it is that God has called us to. We sharpen one another, so one man sharpens another. We're not meant to walk this life, this Christian life alone, We're to do this, gather together, be in community with one another, both on Sundays and outside of that. It even says in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. You see, when we gather together, we have an amazing opportunity to be an encouragement And many of you have that gift of encouragement here in this room. Chris, I love you. You are always so encouraging. Even on a Sunday where I know I messed up on a song, if I'm helping to lead, if I know I hit the wrong note or I started off at the wrong tempo, man, you are always so encouraging. Like, John, you did a great job. Thank you so much. Love you, man. And we all encourage one another. I've seen all of you give words of encouragement, help lift each other up, 
That's what we're meant to do. Uh Uh-oh, I lost my notes. I lost my notes. Okay, there we go. Richard Muller says that we cannot endure in isolation. Each Christian desperately needs the body of believers for encouragement. We see that in 2020, the biggest disruption to that took place with COVID. Government mandated shutdowns. that said churches cannot gather together. Isolated from one another. Had to be more than six feet apart. Outside, more than six feet apart. Inside, not knowing what we could do. We were isolated, alone. I love my wife. It was great moments of being isolated together as a family. But I also needed, (laughs) I needed communion and community with other people. During 2020, I missed so much, desperately meeting with David on a weekly basis. I live in a house full of girls, if some of you don't know. And so oftentimes, David is really my only one-on-one guy time to hang out and talk. And man, I, just, I, I needed that in 2020 and 2021. George Barna did some research regarding just the church post-COVID. Pre-COVID, they discovered that about 39% of Christians, which unfortunately isn't as big of a number as we would hope, but 39% of Christians would, meet, would gather at a church service at least once a week. 39%. Post-COVID, that number went down to 33%. So a, quarter, a third of believers that say they love Jesus only gather together like this once a week, post-COVID. And even more startlingly, pre-COVID, only 30, about 35 to 41% of people attended a church service infrequently, meaning once a month or less. That number went all the way up to 56% of people within the United States only go to church maybe, maybe, once a month. And we already know there's other statistics in there, but we already know that people that have a legitimate biblical worldview has dropped down from 8% down to 4% in that time as well. COVID has had a huge disruption of Christians actually gathering together, sharpening one another, being in community, linking arms. Which means that there's a huge amount of people that are missing the opportunity and missing the benefit of being surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ on just a regular basis. Which means they're also cutting off the power of what it means when we gather together. I can worship at home, fine. However, this morning has a different level and a different scope of power when it comes to us gathering together and worshiping the king. 
There's a different movement of the Spirit when we're gathered together, lifting our hands, singing out to our God, giving him glory. There's a different level of movement here compared to when we're on our own doing it. God still meets us on our own, yes. Absolutely. But there's a different energy, different atmosphere when we're here. Those who neglect assembling together cut themselves off from the very means whereby Christ feeds, assures, and protects his people. If we're not communing together, we're cutting ourselves off from the encouragement of one another, the easiest access of it. I can text you, hey, I'm thinking about you, I love you, praying for you, and there's a different different level when I can actually pray with you, lay my hands on you in person, hug you, encourage you, edify you in person. It's different. It's different. And the trend of online church that COVID just like accelerated, it can never truly replace what we do here on a Sunday morning. It can never truly replace gathering together in our contending communities, contending for one another, fighting for one another, praying for one another, interceding, making each other laugh, enjoying a meal together. That isolation, it, it doesn't replace it. We tried during COVID, when we were doing the online church stuff, when they, before they actually opened things up, some of us would gather together in one or two families to watch online church together to try to worship. But for me personally, it was, there was this biggest barrier of being able to enter, in, enter into the presence of God. I tried, tried, tried. It was hard. Did any of you, any of you guys feel that? Experience that? Church, this is beautiful. This brings the Lord, joy, when we gather together and we sing with one voice, when we sit under the teaching of local leadership. I know you can hear a lot better preachers than myself online. There are a lot of, a lot of better communicators than me that you can listen to, and you should listen to. But there's just something different when we sit all together under the same leadership and stewardship of local pastors and local bodies. Philippians 2, 1 through 4, we just went through our series on Philippians a couple months ago. If you haven't listened to it, you can go back. But Paul touches on this very concept. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So this hope that we have in Jesus, this proclamation of him being our Lord, 
it means that we have been giving, given a new identity, not only as individuals, but also just as a people. We are becoming the family of God. He adopts us as sons and daughters, and we have a new family. And that family is to help one another. Think of each other as better and higher than ourselves. Linking arms together, being a strong force against what it is that the enemy wants to do to the church. To push forward against the realm of darkness and stand firm with one another being humble, unified together, pushing forward the kingdom of God, inviting others to experience what it is that we have experienced. Because as the family of God, we have that greater capacity and ability to exalt one another, to lift each other higher than ourselves, and to stand in hardships and trials together. When my dad passed away, it was during that time where my wife and I were making the transition from our one church to Westside, where David was the pastor at. And because we hadn't fully got, gotten rooted in that family, it was really hard. I had friends still from the previous church that I would reach out to, but that was a hard trial to try to endure without being deeply rooted. Get rooted here with each other because there are hardships in life that are going to be way easier to face when you're linked arms here in the local body than if you try to do by yourself. God designed us to be a family. And then we see in the future, in Hebrews 25, at the end of the verse, and all the more as you see the day of his return drawing near. Every day that we live here on earth, we're one day closer to when he comes back to claim his bride. We as believers, as the church, are the bride of Christ. Maybe a little uncomfortable for some of us dudes to, re- to reconcile that with, but we are his bride. He has claimed us. And we're to encourage one another to remain faithful to our groom, to see him and to have an urgency about us to go into the world, to claim, to proclaim who it is that Jesus is, that he loves them, even when they did not love him. To grow in faithful commitment to Christ and commitment to the church, his bride. You know, our meeting time now is impactful and is sweet and beautiful. But when we, as the universal church, are gathered in front of him when he comes back, oh my goodness, that is going to be one heck of a party. That's going to be one amazing time of worship to see him 
exalt him, glorify him from believers from the past and the believers that are in front of us in the future. My wife always says that she wants to start a Christian commune. What time is it? Am I at 30 minutes? Yeah, I'm at 30 minutes. Cool. I'm landing the plane. Yes! That was my goal. (laughs) My wife has this joke where she wants to start a Christian commune. Sounds a little cultish, but (laughs) she loves this idea of being gathered around, living in a region with fellow brothers and sisters of Jesus, to live in a community together. I remind her that they did that in the medieval times. They were called monasteries. (laughs) But there is an intrigue to the way that monasteries ran back before uh, other stuff that took place. Because the way that monasteries worked is, yes, it was a community of believers that lived in a village together. And everyone had a job and a responsibility. And they would bring what it was that they did and shared it with everyone in the community. They call, you know, back then they called it uh, universal basic income, not state-mandated communism, because we know that doesn't work but a kingdom-minded mindset of everyone bringing everything that they had together. And then it was dispersed and given. No one was in need. Everyone was wealthy, but no one was rich. You had exactly what you needed. You had a a community that you lived with that loved Jesus and wanted to expand the kingdom, wanted to push the kingdom and you lived together in different houses, but in a village where I could go down the street and I could see if I wanted to, Caitlin and Jake or Patty or Chris. And if there was a time where I was in need, in need of prayer, I, you just had to go down the street and knock on the door. And yes, we have cell phones where we could text each other. But again, it's different when you're able to be face-to-face with one another. I'm not saying we need to start a Christian commune or a monastery. (laughs) But I can already see how we have been able to pull on some of the best of that. I've seen in this body when someone's been in need of prayer. I've seen you pray for one another. When there's been a hardship, people gather together doing a meal train, bringing meals, lifting each other up in prayer. When there's been a new birth, a meal train, and you've got more food than you know what to do with. We experience that. The Gullifers have experienced it. A shoulder to cry on. Help when there's a big financial need that was unexpected. I've seen us as a body do that. Both in our contending communities, and as a body at large. Church, I love gathering with you. I love this body because you are exemplifying the hands and feet of Jesus. You're linking arms with one another 
standing firm and being there for each other, encouraging one another. I'm grateful for the sense of family and community that I have with each and every one of you. I'm grateful for the joy that my daughters have to come here on a Sunday. This is the highlight of their week. This is the highlight of my week, when they can come and play with Sebastian and Riker and Jackson and all the other kids. This is the highlight of my week, when I can see your faces, when I can hear you worship our King together. I'm grateful for you and for being able to experience the family and community that you have brought for us. And I know that many of you have experienced that as well. I think 80% of our church is in a contending community. That's amazing. Let's see if we can get to 100%. Come talk to me. But our gathering together is without a doubt the highlight of my week and my family's week. Because we know you love us and we love you. That we would do anything that we could for you guys. And we feel that you would do the same. We cannot neglect this. He's called us to gather together to worship him as one body to bring what we have to offer, the gifts and talents that we have, to glorify him and edify and lift one another up. Amen? Amen. I think we're going to do a Q&A. I'm going to hold you up here for another second. Uh, we, we're a, a community of people that want to live wisely in our day and age. And so that means interacting with each other and not just having a couple people share. Um, my question for us as a community, so think, I'm gonna encourage you to engage. Um, that passage in verse 25 says, um, don't neglect getting together um, all the more as the day comes. Um, we know that's the end where Christ returns why, and I'm asking you guys, why do we think it's, why is it more important, or why would it be more important as the day draws near of Christ's return for people to come together, for our neighbors, for us, for other followers of Christ, to be a part of something like this, even if it's not this, right? Why? You can speculate. There's no wrong, I mean, there may be some wrong answers, but <laughs> we'll be nice. Uh, anybody want to get us started? Why would it be more important to continue on? Uh, oh, ah, there is a hand. Oh, Michelle. What do you think? Well, so that more people will come to know him, so that when they see him, they don't fear, because they don't see judgment. They see redemption. Um, and also, because I suspect there will be more persecution, and you will need help and encouragement. That's good. Anybody else? So, 
In Spanish, we have a say. I will say this in Spanish, and I will explain you in English. We said, um, el que anda en la miel, algo se le pega. So that means if you're in the honey, someone will attach to you. Mm. So basically, I explained that. <laughs> Dude, that sounded nice when you said that. Say it again. Sound way better in Spanish. In Spanish or English? Oh, in Spanish, brother. El que anda en la miel, algo se le pega. That sounds like honey. <laughs> I think it's important to gather together, especially as we see the day of the Lord approaching, because the enemy um, is seeking whom he may devour. And we really need that spiritual strength that we can draw from one another because uh, a Satan is, uh, obviously the Lord is greater, but he, he is seeking whom he can take out. So we need that encouragement from one another. And, and the prayers. So I'm of the opinion that the farther you get from the source of something, the harder it is to maintain interest in it. And Christianity's been around for quite a long time, and the farther we get away from Christ being on earth, the easier it is to return to the ways of the world. And I think it's better to gather together to maintain that connection. Mm. Amen. Thank you for that. That was great. I uh, agree with everything everybody said, but one thought that came to my mind that's actually kind of different is like tonight's New Year's Eve, right? We're going to gather together with people and we're going to celebrate. And I think that as a body, we know what we have to look forward to and we remind each other of that hope when we're together. Yep. Absolutely. It doesn't need to just take place in this kind of setting. It's um, when we're around tables, when the kingdom of God is at work among us. Are you going to say something, Linda? No? Okay. Anybody else? Just calling out a first-time guest. It's all good. <laughs> you work at a church, I know. You will? Okay. There we go. Uh, the beginning of that verse is um, kind of a fun challenge in my mind to stir each other up for love and good deeds. And I don't think there's any other social gathering that gets together for that purpose. Mm -hmm. So if we were to get together and take that seriously, I think we'd make, um, well, first we'd have a really good time. And second, we'd see the Spirit of God on the loose. And that's exciting. We only get to do that when we get together and stir each other up for love and good deeds. A lot of good stuff. Um, Any other thoughts before we... Yeah, back row. Get me some exercise. See that, John? Now you know what it's like to be me, right? Got New Year's resolution for you. <laughs> um, I think just bearing one another's burdens. Um, I think this world is hard, and it's getting harder. And if we are bearing things alone, it's hard to maintain joy. And um, how are we supposed to be a light if we are just full of darkness ourselves because because we're bearing our burdens alone. Thank you, yeah. One of the beautiful things is coming together and telling the truth to each other, whether that's even singing to one another. Um, there's actually a reason that we have more of a, a rounded shape to our worship time so that we can share those moments of declaring biblical truth mm-hmm. um, where we can just feed off of each other. I love the illustration of almost like logs in a fire. If you have a bonfire and you pull the logs away, 
they start to go out kind of like what you were saying, um, but when they're together, they actually feed off of one another and keep that fire burning. Um, John, what, what kind of thoughts did you have that would um, encourage that? Or what struck an, a nerve? I think, um, again, what you had said, the further away that we get away from the source, the harder it is to stay within. Um, when we see, like with COVID, we were forced to be away. We were forced to be broken apart from each other as the church. And as a result, it's become hard for many to get reengaged with a body. Um, and so it, it's all the more imperative, imperative for us as believers to find a local body, to get plugged in, to form deep roots, deep friendships, community with each other. Uh, because there's burdens that I can carry by myself that are going to be a crushing weight. Um, there are burdens that I can carry with others, with brothers and sisters in Christ, that would be a crushing weight if I were to try to do it by myself. Um, and all of us are going to, would experience that. Like Michelle said, persecution of the church. We don't experience a lot of that right now. Um, other parts of the, country, of, the, of the world do. Who knows in the future if there could be a day where we experience that. We can bear it together way more, uh, way better than if we were trying to do it apart. Yeah, it's absolutely the truth. When we were in Europe, I would go in the city and it was infrequent that you'd see another believer, at least outwardly. And so it would almost be like, I have to get to church to remember that I'm not alone. Yeah. And I'm sure some of you feel that way in the public sector, schools things like that where it's just like dang is this am i alone in this yeah and much of that is like you said already changing mm -hmm. for us as a country uh so all the more reason to continue to gather together not neglect meeting with one another and here on a sunday in our contending communities throughout the week yeah. we're a family and we should desire to see one another so i think as leadership and i'll just close with this um for me to take this even and hold it with uh, John and the other leaders and staff and board is just that clear focus of the purpose of being together. One of the fundamental purposes to be together is to encourage and create a community and space where you know that regardless of what's going on in life, that you're going to be able to show up and we're going to speak the truth and we're going to allow God to build us up in his word um, and like, like you shared stir us up into good deeds um, so I think that's just a there's a, a collective purposing that we need to have as a body where it's not just a one directional thing it's like we will commit to encouraging you as you come um, so that you know how to what to expect when you come anyways uh, with that um, I'm just going to ask John, will you pray and then um, commit uh, our worship yep. time and communion? That would be great yep. for you to wrap up. Thank you, guys. Lord, thank you that you have called us yours. That you've claimed us as your people. And because of that, we are a family, the family of God. We are brothers and sisters. And the bond that we share 
through the blood of your son even runs deeper than the blood of natural family. Lord, we are one body waiting expectantly for you to return and gathering together with urgency to see your name glorified and lifted up, to exalt you high above the earth, to declare you as our Lord, as our Savior, as our friend, physician, counselor, confidant, Father, you are everything for us. And I thank you that we get to share in your greatness with one another. That we are never truly alone as the family of God. That we have brothers and sisters who will stand shoulder to shoulder with each and every one of us to help bear the burdens that we all carry, to bear the weight of a world that tries to tell us that you are not who you say you are. But we know you have been faithful and you will be faithful to the end of time. That you are our king, we are your people, and we have joy when we gather with one another. Joy when we see each other's face. Joy when we see each other worshiping declaring who you are. Lord, I thank you for what it is that you've done. I thank you for this church, Sparrow City, for each and every person here that loves you, that they are dear brothers and sisters for me, for my family, and for each other. So in the coming year, may we continue to not neglect meeting with one another. May we look with joy and urgency each week as we gather together and in our meetings throughout the week as well to see each other's face, to lift each other up, encourage one another, pray for one another. We thank you for this body and what it is that you're doing in us and through us. May we continue to remain faithful to you. As you prepare to take communion, if you have things that you need to work out with the Lord, please do so. But as you take the sacraments, as you're ready, let's stand together. Let's worship him. Let's lift our hands, sing. Give him all the praise and all the glory that he deserves. And let's have a celebration together as a family of who he is and what he's done. So as you're ready, the table's open.